Hello, everyone. Um, you're very welcome to our sixth in the series of um, webinars and conversations about prostitution. My name is Esohe Agatise, and I am the founder and executive director of Iroko Charity, Iroko Unlus, and I'm really thrilled to have you with us again for a wonderful session this evening. Iroko is a multicultural NGO which provides services to victims of sex trafficking and of domestic violence, as well as assistance to migrants generally. Uh, our services include free legal and psychological support, cultural mediation, employment and housing search, and temporary economic assistance programs to name just a few. Um, we also carry out research and advocacy. And um, Iroko is a member of several international coalitions, such as the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, uh, Coalition for the Abolition of Prostitution and Pornography, the European Network of Migrant Women, and the Brussels Call. Iroko has won several awards, the last of which is the Child 10 Queen Sylvia of Sweden Award of 2021. Um, Iroko created the film entitled Journey of No Return, which is widely distributed in Nigeria and elsewhere as an educative and awareness raising instrument. Um, it is important to know that Iroko is an abolitionist organization which advocates for the abolition of prostitution and for the introduction of the abolitionist law worldwide. And as one of the very first organizations to introduce the idea of abolitionist principles in Italy, Iroko decided to carry out these series of webinars to educate people more about abolitionism. And this is the penultimate in a series of seven meetings between May and July 2021. And our two speakers are um, Sigma Huda, who is the former United Nations Special Rapporteur on um, Trafficking. Uh, Sigma became a lawyer in September 1970 and continues to practice law. She's a senior lawyer of the Supreme Court of Bangladesh, appearing before the Appellate Division Bench for the last 49 years. Sigma has founded and co-founded as many as 28 organizations. And to name a few from the list, you have the Bangladesh Society for the Enforcement of Human Rights. Um, she's the present chairperson of that organization. The Bangladesh National Women Lawyers Association, where she's the founder and former president. Acid Survivors Foundation, co-founder and former president of that. She's a former, as I said before, a former UN Special Rapporteur on Trafficking in Persons, especially women and children, um, and was that for the term from 2004 to 2008. Um, she was twice elected to the Bangladesh Bar Council. Our other speaker, is Miki Meiji, who is a feminist, an abolitionist, and human rights and gender activist. She has significant professional and personal experience in issues 
surrounding the sex trade, as well as the system of prostitution and its harms. Miki is the lead survivor activist and advocate in South Africa, advocating for anti-sex trade laws that benefit the women who are bought, sold, and exploited in the system of prostitution. She's the founder of Kwanele, the first survival movement in Africa, a former advocacy manager at Embrace Dignity, a feminist human rights organization, and she founded the SESP, Survival Empowerment and Support Program in South Africa. So I, I'm really, really thrilled to have both of you with me today. Sigma and Miki, you're very welcome. And um, so now I'm going to ask both of you to very quickly um, tell us a bit about yourself. So I'll start with Miki. So Miki, if you can tell us a bit about your background and the work you do. Thank you. Good morning and good evening and good afternoon because we are parts of the world. <laughs> Across all. You yeah. can see yeah. all of it. <laughs> yes. You can see all my, my of name, it. And Singo yes. will tell you good so night. It's good morning, good afternoon, <laughs> and good evening. Everybody, my name is Miki Meji, as the song has already said. Uh, um, I do not have anything to say with, with regards to my background. You said it all, my sister. Just um, I'm speaking to, to everybody from Cape Town, South Africa. I don't know what happened with my voice today. Maybe there's some forces that are trying to shut, shut me down. So yeah, it woke up and it, it was almost gone. But nonetheless, um, as Esoya has said, I'm a survival lead activist in South Africa. I founded an organization called Survivor Empowerment and Support Program. Where what we seek to do with this organization is to create economically socially and legally enabling environment for the abolition of the system of prostitution. So basically, uh, we, are, we, we economically empower women to give exit support, as we know that economy is the main driver of, of, the, of the system of prostitution, as well as we are also trying to raise an awareness um, by changing social mind. So, so people have a different attitude towards the prostitution system and we, act, we advocate actively for the abolitionist law that you saw him mention earlier on. So we are very active calling the for government to adopt the equality model that is also the abolitionist approach because it, it has shown to be the most progressive legal framework for the abolition of prostitution. Thank you. Thank you so much, Miki. And with your permission, if I may say something that's really personal and you know what I mean, um, we are so happy to have you with us. We know how challenging it's been because um, Miki uh, very, very recently lost her mom, who was also a very strong um, feminist advocate. And in spite of the huge engagement she has on a personal level, she accepted to speak today because she said to me, you know what, my mom would be angry if I don't participate. So it doesn't matter. I have to be here to be a part of you. So I want to say a big thank you and my condolences once more. Um, so Sigma, can you tell us a bit about your background and the work you do? 
Well, you, you said all in a nutshell. And first of all, I would like to say to everybody who's attending this uh, webinar and listening into us, I would like to say hello to you. And as you said, you say it's good night from my side, but it's not good night because I, good night means going to bed. So I'm not yet going to bed. <laughs> and, um, and also I would like to express my condolence to Mickey. And I'm glad that she's come in here. She seems to be a very powerful lady. And I'm sure her mother is also equally powerful and her mother's blessings are on her, which is why she's strong enough to come and attend our workshop today. Um, well, uh, I have done a lot of cases on behalf, when, like in 1985 was the first time when women in prostitution were evicted from their places and they were heavily pregnant and there were, many of them were heavily pregnant and they were under the trees. So um, I took up their cause and that time I, people were very reluctant to even talk or discuss or even think of calling them sex workers or whatever it is. In 1995, when they were second time um, evicted, I went to court in 1999, when they were evicted, I went to court. I went to court and I said that they cannot be evicted because they're not vagrant, because they were trying to remove them as vagrants. So I said, no, they're not vagrants. And there's a little confusion here, which is I'm trying, I've asked for a clarification from the Ministry of Law, that it's a very gray area in Bangladesh right now. So we're working on that. And basically my Society for the Enforcement of Human Rights is um, prosecuting the traffickers when we can identify them and catch them. We are assisting the prosecutors in prosecuting the traffickers. We do groundwork, um, field study survey, do a lot of data collection, evidence collection, and ensure participation of witnesses. We don't have the Witness Protection Act as yet. So the witnesses are very reluctant to come forward and give, because they're very frightened. They'll go back into the same situation, the, especially the survivors who have managed to get, bring back into the country, if it's an international, uh, international border crossing, or even within the country, the brothels that are there because brothels are illegal over here. Uh, buying sex is illegal here. So these things we are trying, we work on this line. Uh, the Women Lawyers Association also, of which I'm the founder, um, has um, recovered a lot of women and have a shelter home where they keep them and to, to, like sort of giving them protection. Because like uh, from, we're doing the trial till the case is over so the survivors are protected. So we give that kind of service there. So sorry to interrupt you because I wanted, so I don't lose that portion that you spoke about some of those legislative approaches to, pro yes. to prostitution in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. But taking from your work as a UN Special Rapporteur, what are the main legislative approaches to prostitution on a global level? I, I would love you to speak well, to that. Actually, um, Actually, there are, there are um, three kinds of approaches right now. One is the decriminalization. The mm. other is criminalization. And uh, the other would be the, the third one would be legislation. There are three main approaches. Through this, the branches have come out. And if I'm in, into the discussion right now, then I can go into it. So um, this... Uh, like what Mickey was also talking about, that being um, that being an abolitionist. 
So legalization of prostitution would mean that making it totally legal. And whereas decriminalization would make it, the buyers are being affected, but the women in the prostitution are not being affected because they can give sex, they can sell sex, but there's nobody to buy because the person who's going to buy is going to be criminalized. So that is the decriminalization process, which, the Nordic, uh, which is also called the Nordic model to an extent, and which is also in New Zealand, a total decriminalization that um, their arguments are over here. Uh, most of their arguments were relating to um, the criminalization or penalization of laws is something that will totally ban by legislative action, by law, prostitution per se would be totally banned. And prosecution, uh, prostitution by per, by per se, uh, per se prostitution I would mean that it includes all the ancillaries and all the other associate activities that are there relating to, it's not just buying sex or selling sex, it's a lot of other things included over there. So this um, criminalization or penalization uh, is what most uh, women are wanting because we feel, I feel at least, this is my opinion personal, that um, the woman is always in a subservient role in a prostitution game or in the work of, in the prostitution work arena because she's led selling her body against money, but that person who's buying the prostitute, who's buying the services or the sex for that one hour, two hour day or so, they can do what they like with their body. And when they, when they say that, when the decriminalization or legalization, they say the women will be better off because they'll have access to health, they'll have access to police and police won't be harassing them anymore. Uh, it's, not, it's not real, it's not real, it's not realistic. Because over here, when you are already in the clutches of the hire or the buyer, then in that, you don't have the time to call the police because you're not in a position to call the police. You may you're not even in a position to call your union if you are allowed a union or association or confederation or a, co a cooperative, cooperative or whatever you have a group of women who are working with you. They will not be able to come to you, come to your help because at that moment you are not there in a physical position to call for any kind of assistance. After abuse, after the man has gone, maybe you can get medical assistance. Maybe you can get police. But then you won't even find the buyer because sometimes the buyer is just is a transit buyer. Especially yes. like if you talk of Thailand, if you talk of other sex tourism countries, you'll find that they just come and go. They're just casual visitors and they transit, they come. I have seen from in myself one in one of my trips to Bangkok, I went to Pattaya and I was coming back. I saw German middle middle-aged Germans who had retired from service and they're spending their money, their pension money, to come to Bangkok to use 12 years old, 11 year old girls. And in here's the prostitution. And they're enjoying them, but these girls are not enjoying it. You could see, because I could see one girl. I could see her. On, on that most countries' laws, that will be statutory, that will be rape, statutory yes, rape at the very least. True. Because they are minors. So, well, but Thailand, the parents are selling these people because it's a, it's a poor country. I mean, maybe there's, there's a certain class of people who are very rich, industri industrialization has gone in, but the majority of the people are agricultural and they're very, especially in the Northern states of Thailand, they're very, very poor. So those people will have to 
you know, those people will sell their children off to earn money. And these people are the, the people like the Saudis or the Arabs, so I've seen them also come in. And I could see the little girls are not very happy with what the fondlings that are going on, um, all kinds of debaucheries that are going on there. I felt just like a debauchery. I felt like it was an, uh, I, I mean, I just happened to be, it was an open place. It was like an open in a hotel or in the beach or even in a plane, I've seen them happening. And so it's, um, so I would say that criminal, that when you call it a sex trade, if you call it a decriminalization where the girl is free, or if you call it legalization, where it's the law is there to protect you, the laws don't protect you. The laws won't protect you because at that particular precise moment when you meet, you're not there to give the help. You cannot get that help. Afterward, yeah. Afterwards, you can get the help, but not at that particular time. So how can yeah. you call it any kind of, I mean, how can we always think of, decriminalization or how can we think of legalization? The arguments are there that uh, will they get the dignity? I don't think so. I'm looking through all my researches on this topic and I did a thorough research on this and I find that nowhere the girls are being taught. There's some zonings, like Netherlands has made zones. Why zoning? If you accept it, if you accept it as a part of your life, it's, you call it a sex trade, you call it a profession, you call it a work, you call it like a work. And they also say that when I, when I sell my body and you take the body, body on against money, a contract has been made. Yes. And so how do you, so how can you make, uh, when there's a breach of that contract, when you're going beyond limits, you're doing some, you're ex executing some fantasies, and fantasies that you have in your mind, you're executing that because you don't do that in the family. You're already creating a, in unequal situation where your wife is kept in a place and the women in prostitution are kept in another place. And so when they, there's an unequal contract, you cannot even, yes. so when that man starts beating you up, you can't even say anything because then he'll say, I've purchased you. So it's a contract, but what contract? A contract means obligations, responsibilities on both sides. So it's one-sided. This particular contract we talk of my, obligation or the women in prostitute, prostitution, her obligation, but it will not talk about the man's obligation, the man's responsibility. Man has purchased, finished. Yes. You know, that's what, uh, that's, that's what the differences are when we talk yeah. about the legislative approaches and what are the legal approaches to prostitution. Thank you very much for that, Sigma. Um, I was just thinking while you spoke about the fact that until very recently and in the main, in most countries of the world, when we talk of criminalization of prostitution, the attention is always on those who sell sex, mainly yes. women, yes. without any attention being paid at all to those who buy. They are the unknown, as if it's a one-sided thing, which we know is not. And so the yes. attention is always on those who sell, the women, yes. greater majority of the women. Uh, there are men, yes, there are other groups that do sell sex, but they're in, they, they, the sex trade is a very gendered kind of situation. No, but when, when they're in the, the, stigma, the stigma, the punishment, yes. everything is on them. So we, we know that. So I don't know if Mickey wanted to say something to this. Your question, your question was initially that three um, main um, uh, legal approaches. Um, 
So, so what happened? What happened was that South Africa actually adopted partial criminalization since 1957, but yes. that partial criminalization was not to criminalize men and decriminalize women. It actually criminalized only the selling of sex. Um, it was it wasn't until 2007 where South Africa then crim totally criminalized um, the system of prostitution. One thing that is clear about South Africa is that even all, all the approaches that we have taken as a country are showing that we want to eliminate the prostitution system. It's just that we are not doing something right or doing it the, the right way. Because in 1949, South Africa signed up on the International Convention, um, you know, that, that, that is already having an abolitionist approach. And then, um, Nine years later, 1957, or eight years, yeah, 1949, yeah, nine years later, South Africa then acted upon signing the, the convention by criminalizing the sale of sex. Then in 2007, the amendment was put, was put forward. Interesting enough, because there was a challenge on the constitutional court about whether or not constitutional right and um, the human right, the constitutional court of South Africa found that you know, the sale of sex or prostitution or being prostituted is not a, a constitutional right. It is actually unconstitutional to prostitute others, which then led to the response that we had in 2007. Now, we do know that when people are criminalizing, they don't want prostitution. That's a message that we've sent to the country. We do not want prostitution. But, but how, well, how we go about eliminating it is, is where we are still missing the link. So we need different approach because it's the idea of the law. It, I mean, the law that we put in, the purpose of that law was to stop the, 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 the activity. And if, if the activity is then not stopping, it is not upon us to actually change our approach, but, but rather it is upon us to, I mean, it is not upon us to change our purpose, but it is upon us to change the approach that we've been using so that we, we actually achieve the purpose that which we, we seek to achieve. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that, Nikki. Yes. Um, um, while you spoke, yes, um, Sigma, you wanted to add something to that? Yeah, I was just going to say that when, uh, it's very interesting when she's saying the criminalization of prostitution means it's actually the sale of sex is being targeted. So I would, uh, I think the only one of the approaches in recovering from that uh, particular aspect is by giving alternatives to prostitution, which is of course everybody talks about, but of course I don't know whether the women in prostitution themselves have any ideas of how they would come out of this. Where, where in a country where the where prostitution is illegal, totally, uh, how would you go about uh, trying to come out of that situation? Because why do people get into prostitution? They may say because it's the end thing. They may say it's my right to my body to do what I like with my body. No one has the right to walk in and dictate to me what to do with me. No one can come and say, hey, you can't, you can't give your body for sex because it's infringing on your right to your body. So in those situations, but even if all that happens, it still is the fact that because the girl wants to survive, the woman has a family or the girl has a family, they want to survive. So if given an opportunity with a better opportunity, I'm sure they would rather go to that opportunity because always the prostitute is in a, on the fringe of society. 
Yeah. Even with we, all we, the legalizations, we... with all the legalizations, they are on the fringe of society, main society. Yeah. They're not into the mainstream. And mm. um, as I was saying earlier to you so yesterday, that uh, in France also, I found that one lady was saying that we don't want women in prostitution to be around our community, in our neighborhood. Because that our children are there, our family are there. So we wouldn't like our children or family to be exposed to that particular. So with all the legalization, with all the acceptance of women activists going to meetings and conference and having your best friend a women in prostitute, a woman prostitute, but nevertheless, there's always a slight fine line of division. And that is what we're saying that unless an alternative approach is given in the sense of like, uh, what would you like to be? What would you want to be? Why do you want to go into day in and day out of servicing men? Just for survival? Um, I, I, as, as we know, and I think um, Mickey can speak more to that, the greater majority, I mean, the huge majority, we're talking of more than 95% of those who find themselves in prostitution do not end up there because of what people describe as quote and unquote choice but mm -hmm. due to circumstances beyond their control <laughs> in which they find themselves trapped in the system of prostitution, which does yeah. not offer a valid alternative, but pushes women into saying, you can use your body. And most of those who are there, I'm sure, they are not there to say, oh, we have these human rights in which we want to exercise our right to use okay. our bodies but it's something completely different. I, I wonder if Miki wants to expand on that. You know, the interesting part about this thing is that when, when people are talking, they're talking about what women wanting to do something. So as we are debunking, uh, you know, the, no, the notion of prostitution as sex work, we, we yes. need to understand that women are not doing anything to their bodies. Prostituted women, it's people doing things that they like to women's bodies and because, because they can afford to do so, because they have the power to do so. And once we start talking about choice, you know, I was thinking, what is choice? Choice is when you've had various opportunities and majority of those who are prostituted are people, if you look at their background, their background paved the way for them to be vulnerable to, to, be, to be in prostitution. Actually, they don't choose to be prostituted, but prostitution chooses them because of their vulnerabilities. And those vulnerabilities vary. There is a lot of groups that have happened to people's childhoods that, um, that, that she paved the way for people to be in prostitution. And also the other interesting notion is that those who are advocating for prostitution to be recognized as sex work, they constantly say, uh, you know, because we, the stigma will go away. But I understand that these sex workers are not necessarily not coming out because they are afraid of being criminalized. The only thing that they're afraid of is, is because they, they themselves are not proud of, of, of what, what is called an, um, an, an occupation or a trade if we may call it that. So these are the things that, that are being said as we, as we try to debunk the notion of prostitution as sex work. Following from what um, Mickey said, but well, go ahead, I Sigma, to, when you finish. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to say this before I forget, that, um, you know, Mickey, you're saying about that um, it being a sex work, the, the proper prostitution group are talking about it. 
choice. But you know, um, there's no variety of choices, as she said, from where you can, you can choose what choice. And secondly, if there were, uh, if it was a question of choice, and if it was a question of uh, trade, sex work, work as I know can defines work to be, or as the labor laws would define work to be, then why are there survivors? Why are there people who are escaping from this uh, uh, sex work? Why are we having so many victims coming out to us? Why? Because of course, one, they may get convinced as say, being it, it being sex work, they may get convinced that this is my right to my body to do what I want with my body. And it's my option to do what I want. It's my human rights. Yet, after a year or two years, they want to come out of it. Why do they take to drugs then? Why do they try to dull their emotions? Why do they try to, dull? I mean, physically also, I mean, uh, it's not possible to continue to service men or boys or even women or whoever it is. Uh, so I think in such a situation, actually there's no choice and actually there's no work. And actually there's a lot of people wanting to escape from this whole web of, uh, in the guise of prostitution or talking about it in a, making it like a sounding something very glamorous. You know, I have my body, I can do what I want with it. I can do this. Yeah. No, it doesn't work. Sorry, um, sorry. No, 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 not at all. This is interesting because just taking from what you said and from what Mickey said earlier, I'm just thinking of the very powerful uh, sentence that the Italian Constitutional Court in 2019 um, made a declaration when um, the law on uh, that regulates prostitution in Italy, prostitution is not a crime but the exploitation of the prostitution of others is a crime in Italy. And it's called the Merlin Law, um, following the name of the female senator who worked very hard to decriminalize the women, uh, prostituted women in Italy. And the court was being asked to declare, I mean, uh, amongst other things, to declare that prostitution uh, the, 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 the sale and buying of female bodies should be regarded as uh, a kind of job. And I'm saying it in very simplified terms, but the, the, the Italian Supreme Court, Constitutional Court held that prostitution cannot be regarded as a job because it is detrimental to exactly. women's dignity. It is not dignified and so cannot be accepted. I mean, when you talk of job under the constitution, you're talking of dignity, you're talking of empowerment, and prostitution is not that. So following from that, we know that some countries regulate prostitution. Let's think of Germany. Let's think yes. of Austria. Let's think of uh, Holland. Let's think of New Zealand. And some of the intentions they express for this regulation or legalization is that they say that if those in prostitution are able to quote and unquote be recognized as workers, they can pay their taxes and they can obtain benefits. But listening to some of our German uh, interlocutors, the situation seems to be very, very different from that. The reality on the ground is different. So I don't know if you can tell us some of the results, you know, some of these countries that are regulating prostitution, 
when you were a special rapporteur, Sigma, what were some of the results that you saw from those areas where prostitution was legally regulated? Did it really um, lead to those fantastic results of empowerment of those in prostitution and resolution of their issues regarding um, social support and you know, removal of stigma? Was the stigma removed from prostitution? Um, well, um, when you're talking about this, I would find that even uh, the mechanism which, uh, by which the regulatory approaches to prostitution has found to be generating negative thoughts, unintended consequences, and progressive policies, getting reversal of progressive policies. And I hear that Germany is now rethinking its policy also. So why uh, it's regular, everything is regular, the prostitution is legal, yet the benefits are denied to them because they are given, it's like um, they're, give, they're second class citizens or third class citizens, even with a legal, in a legal situation. Their, lead, their work is considered legal, their servicing of men and boys are legal, their, the whole act of prostitution is legal, they can sell their bodies, everything is legal, but yet when it comes to uh, getting the benefits, they don't get it readily and on equal terms with the others, other citizens. They're not. They're even worse than the migrants who are there, they're even worse than the labor class, because they don't get that equal approach, that very, very equal approach that they would get. So you, because even the law enforcers, they also look at you with slight disdain. There's always there that at the back of the mind, they, they're outside the family range. So they're maybe in a job. Like, you know, when a woman is working even in a multinational company, she's also discriminated against even today. Uh, she has to fight. We have to fight. Like I'm a lawyer. I have to fight. I don't know if say about you when you had an easy way out in the bar, because you know you have always to prove yourself to be a better person. You know, you have to prove yourself to be better. So mm. a woman in prostitution doesn't have that opportunity to prove herself to be better. Better than who? Even if she, her job is legal, even she's working in, they're recognizing prostitution as a job, yet again, they're not getting actually into the, you know, how would I explain to you, but, it's like um, into the, the welfare system, yeah, for instance, you know, they the capacity to access services. They would like maybe if I walked in and she walked in, I would get the preference, preferential treatment, and she would get the, you know, a second thought treatment. So, you know, she's always backtracked or sidetracked. So, mm -hmm. these are the things that legalization of prostitution has also that hasn't removed that stigma and hasn't, we have not, our mindset has not totally changed. We still think that, okay, you go for rest and recreation, you're somebody, you're not up to our standard, up mm. to the general public standard. Am I right, Mickey? I don't know if she's there. I don't know if Mickey wants to say something. I think connection is a bit weak from where you are, Mickey. Yes, that's why I keep on switching my video off when oh. I'm not speaking. Oh, okay. So that connection remains <laughs> stable. Right. That's why I switch my video off okay. because remember we are in third world. We don't have, have the best. <laughs> well, South Africa is not this exactly third world, you know. But anyway, we'll South take it Africa like that. We are, we are worse than you are in Bangladesh <laughs> economically. <laughs> oh, but but your connection has been superb. So for me, the, the other things that come to my mind as I'm listening to, to Sigma speaking, 
uh, with regards to prostitution. You know, in South Africa, if you look at the context of prostitution, it, it bears the face of poor black women. Yeah, yeah, whether they are South Africans or non-South Africans, but that's the situation. The other, the other situation is the fact that it is normally women with, with you know, with a vulnerable backgrounds that tend to be in prostitution. Now already that's giving you a sign that this is not necessarily a choice. It is actually, you know, one of the few choices, if there are other choices that people had, had to choose from. And yeah, so for now, yeah, you will lead us. Yeah, as you speak, I'm thinking of some of the studies that were done that by Melissa Farley and uh, some of our other sisters, where they find that for over about 70 plus percent of those in prostitution, they actually found themselves in that area while they were minors, starting from sexual violence in, in domestic contexts, starting from being groomed as children. And then at the magical age of 18, they now become sex workers who magically chose. So from one minute to the other, they move from a position of being victims of a crime to those who chose to engage in certain activities that are no longer regarded as crimes because there's been a change in age. So from 17.99 age, they are victims of a crime, but the minute, the second, it takes a second to pass from you know, minor age to majority, you're 18, then you become someone who chose to have the profession, quote unquote, of prostitution. That's really interesting. So I wanted to ask you to come back to the theme of this evening on legal frameworks. Um, what responsibilities do you think a state has when it comes to prostitution and to persons in prostitutions? How should states act on their responsibilities? What would you advocate? I'll ask Mickey to start out on this. What would you advocate for states as their responsibility towards the question of prostitution and to persons who are prostituted in their territories? So um, the, the, the Republic of South Africa has one of the best constitutions ever. And our constitution, um, chapter two of, of the constitution is the Bill of Rights. And there are, there are sections there, section nine, section 10, section 11, rights to, right to equality, life, and dignity. Um, in their order. And then we have a section where we call, in section 37, the non-derogable rights, where it patterns out to what extent a particular right has to be, has to be protected. The right to life and the right to, to dignity has ultimate uh, protection. Now we all know that uh, prostitution is inherently harmful. Not only that, that but we, we know that the system of prostitution undermines the dignity of women, and it also, at the same time, threatens their right to life directly and indirectly. So, yeah, threatens their the, the right to life directly and indirectly in the sense that as a prostituted woman, which we all know that South Africa has high levels of femicide 
you know, women are scared in this country, just ordinarily. How much more do we start talking about women who are prostituted? Their vulnerability is even more increased. In that sense, they are more at risk of, being, uh, of men's violence against women, which is inevitable, which could end up also, you know, um, which could also end up, uh, you know, with their death and murders. Now, the, the main part, the South Africa has the responsibility to protect these rights as because the constitution is the supreme law of the country or of land. So no one can pass the constitution. So in, in all in all, South Africa has the, has, has the responsibility and the obligation to protect the, the human rights of all those who live in South Africa, just because, also because our preamble says South Africa belongs to all those who live in it and our rights must be equally protected whether you are prostituted or you are not. Thank you very much, Mickey. Yes, Another thing also, like, um, like Mickey's South African constitution, our constitution is also very good, very well drafted. And in that, in the fundamental uh, principles of state policy, prostitution is supposed to be removed from Bangladesh. They say, because 18.2 come clear say that state shall endeavor to take steps to remove prostitution. And on the other hand, you have the where, the, where the gray sort of an area is coming up is that under Article 29, which is the fundamental rights, they have a, part two of their constitution deals with fundamental rights and our part three deals with fundamental rights. So in uh, part three of the constitution, where um, they say that everybody has a right to equal trade. Now, what people are doing is these women in prostitution they go to the city corporations and take out a license. And they think that- Is that something permitted by law? No, but they do it because of Article 29, which allows you to do it. So they go the, the, there- the, the, That's the just women, a license for a job, not really a license, license for, for prostitution. They, yeah, they say that, well, what they say, they, say, they uh, file an affidavit and then mm. they say that I'm an adult, I'm over 18 years of age and I voluntarily decided to um, get into prostitution and I'm registering myself as such. And then, whereas there's no law, no law governing it, actually there's no legislation and paper, but under the um, city corporations, every citizen goes and gets, you can get a trade license. I can go and get a trade license right now to start up a business. And uh, I can do it without even having an office. I can go and show that I want a trade license. So they go and get that and no one bothers because uh, no one has ever applied their mind to all these things. You know, so whether that anomaly is there, that where is that law backing you to get this trade license? You're supposed to, with that license, they're supposed to get, they register themselves and they're supposed to get health benefits. But who gets it? No one. On the other hand, uh, state policy is that prostitution has to be abolished. So you can see the anomaly. This is something that is going on there. Now, what happens with legalization of prostitution elsewhere? Um, it is that um, this is the whole world of prostitution is working in a gray area, actually, because they're supposed to be protected. They're supposed to be uh, by labor, by health, by safety, and other relevant laws. Yet, actually, what happens? It is the stigma of this by the society is being fueled 
and they want to, um, on the one hand, you say, okay, fine, you're legal, your work is recognized, you go ahead, go ahead, we remain in prostitution, we don't care. But on the other hand, people are shying away from it. And as you said earlier, Zoya, that most of these women have gotten to this world is only because of being having been violently attacked during their childhood by an incestuous relationship, by rape, or by um, any other means that they find themselves, they're trafficked, they're sold. So they find themselves in uh, such a situation and they can't come out of it. Recently, we had a very good case of where, uh, through the websites, uh, Tic Tac, Likey, or whatever it is, TikTok, Likey, girls were lured and they were taken to India to work as in the brothels. Five girls managed to run away from them, from the brothel. Five girls, Bengali girls from South India, managed to run away and come into, go to a police station and seek the help and say that we are Bangladeshi nationals, we have been trafficked, and we can identify the men who are there and we can, that how did you come to this place? Oh, because they told us we have got a good job lined up. TikTok is so exciting and they show you, they make a glamorous world for you. So then these girl, young girls, they have come in. So this is now, right now, Bangladesh is talking about this sex trade that is going on, the syndicate that is going on. It's an international syndicate. And these people operate all over because, and they have links to the outside, to the international countries, other countries where, uh, where their counterparts are there lining up to buy these people. So it's a very big trade, which has been busted by, because of these five girls. They have managed to bust the whole gang. We have caught a lot of people and the police is attacking. So if this was a legal trade, if that license is there, then why are, they, why are you going and getting into this um, whole question of prostitution? So, you know, in Bangladesh, it's such a murky area that we are working in. I, I was just also thinking while you spoke about the, the easy abuse there could be of that system of mm -hmm. registering for uh, a trade, you know? Anyone yes. could take a young girl and say, go and register, say that you're registering a trade and then traffic her with that. And so easily, I think. Yeah, very easily. And these mm. girls, you know, these young girls, they're shown as 18 years old uh, because they're, they're never taken there. Physically, they're never taken to the city, city corporations or the municipalities. Mm. They're just uh, the, the pimp or the madame of the profession. They're the ones who take them, go. And recently what had happened is, you know, to fatten up the cow or a chicken or a pig, you use certain injections to fatten them up for before uh, any wow. sales. Wow. So they use, they push that injection into the women, the young girls. So they develop fast, but wow. they're young. They're about, uh, say maybe 10 years old or eight years old, but they're pushed into that. Uh, they push that injection, the fattening, the cow fattening injection. To make them seem mm -hmm. much older than they are. Older than they are, yes. That's horrendous. I, I just wanted wow. to ask uh, Mickey, yeah, um, if she could comment, um, you, you know, in countries with the Nordic, the abolitionist model, where prostitution itself is not criminalized, so we're talking of Sweden, Norway, France, Iceland, uh, Northern Ireland, all of those countries that have adopted the abolitionist model, um, where prostitution itself is not criminalized, but 
paying for sex is, and then you have exit and support services that are provided for women in prostitution. Do you think there's a difference? If you look at the German situation, for instance, and the situation in those countries that mm -hmm. have adopted, France is one of them, happily, that mm -hmm. have adopted the abolitionist model. Do you see a difference for women in prostitution, do you think? Yes, I mean, research shows that where prostitution is legalized, there, there is normally a lot of trafficking of women into that country as a destination because there is a call and a demand for women. And research has also shown, showed that where prostitution is legalized, um, is, is, is legalized, women tend to, you know, I know of sweet um, Senegal here in Africa and Ethiopia that is said to have legalized, but in Senegal, women have to test mandatory for HIV and STIs. Once they find, once they test positive, they can no longer operate as, as um, in prostitution. Sorry, so, I, I just want to ask you a question there. You mean the women in prostitution are asked to carry out these tests, right? Yes. yes. But are the buyers also requested to carry out these tests? That, that no. is the irony of it. The buyers are not oh. requested to carry out these tests. And now mm. the other thing that you need to understand is, so here, once you test negative, positive you can no longer qualify to to sell sex but but the, the issue here is it's, it's it's actually nonsense call it nonsense because what happens is that they disqualify you because you've um you've gotten hiv or you tested positive with an sti leaving the man that infected you to be infecting me and others that he will still be buying after you have been disqualified now, wow. do you understand that it is not, not necessarily doing anything? It is misogynic because it, it, it doesn't work to the favor of, 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 of women. It doesn't solve the situation. So these are the things that happen. But in countries like Sweden, where, 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 where you, you know, where, where we've, we've um, adopted the, the, the equality model, trafficking and especially trafficking into that country of women and girls but we've also seen um, the, the the equality model also offers an opportunity for women to to get to get um, economic economic empowerment the one thing that we must remember about prostitution it is not work it will never be because it is, if, if people are actually saying it is the oldest profession. I call it the oldest oppression. And why? Because a profession, as we know, you are a lawyer. Because you've been a lawyer for a long time, now you are now, you are now eligible to be paid higher. What you are earning today, you, 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 you are earning far less when you left university. Now, prostitution is the only so-called profession where when you enter, you earn a lot. And by the time you leave, your, your, your earnings have decreased. So the, the notion of prostitution as work just, just doesn't make sense. Because if you, even if you are employing a, a, a housekeeper, if this person has vast experience, they earn more than those who have just recently started. Be it waitressing in anything, people are progressing. The other thing that we also just need to remember is that prostitution is, is, not, is not empowering for the women. It is not empowering 
for women. Exactly. It is just to exactly. undermine their, you know, their, their dignity and their, and their human rights. And those who are calling for prostitution to be, to, to be, to be decriminalized or legalized even, they are not doing so. Oh, oh, it's there is been frozen. I think Mickey may have dropped out. Hello, Mickey. She's there. I can see her. Yes, but I think that um, she has issues. And ju just just a comment I uh, that came to mind when she spoke about you know the the inherent inequalities and violence of prostitution. Um, okay, to yes, she does again. Sorry, Mickey, can you hear me? Mickey? Yes, I can. I can hear you. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can hear you now, but we missed a little bit or a bit of what you were saying earlier. I was just saying that the the idea the, 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 the those who are advocating for prostitution to be decriminalized and recognized as work are not doing so because they want to recognize the rights of prostituted persons. The rather they are advocating for the benefit of men and pimps and brothel keepers because what, what they are doing is wanting to give unlimited access to women's bodies to commodify or and objectify for their own sexual and, and fi financial gratification. Yeah. And, and, and that brings me also to a thought that I have when people talk about the, the so-called um, empowerment of prostituted women, that going into prostitution is a sign of their empowerment and their uh, agency they use okay. to declare and carry out an activity. And if you look at the economics of it, I mean, those who actually have that agency and the choice are those who have money in hand they make the choice to buy someone as against the person who is obliged due to circumstances she finds herself in to sell. So they are the ones who buy. Now, if I go into a shop, money in hand to buy something, it's not the shop owner who's going to tell me what I must buy. I'm the one who says I want ABC. I'm the one who makes a choice. So it does not actually empower the person who is selling in this case, but the per person who goes to buy that has that power to declare, to decide, okay, I'm going to purchase this from you or I'm not, you see? So I think yeah. these are some of the issues that we need to look at, but I just wanted to ask yeah. a question, Sigma. I'm sorry. Yes, you wanted to comment on what- no, uh, I just Mickey wanted said. to say what you said and Nikki yeah. said about empowerment. Yeah. Well. Um, First, going a little before empowerment, you know, the UN, had, when they adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, they had said uh, that the human beings' rights are the dignity of the mankind and is the basic of the UDHR. Similarly, a year later, they found that, okay, well, we have not directly addressed prostitution, which is, again, indignif not dignifying the or not upholding the dignity of the woman, they went on, they used the Convention on the Suppression of the Trafficking in Persons 
and of the exploitation of the prostitution of others, they adopted that. And that is still valid and going. From there, the organized crime came in. And there, from there, the Palermo Protocol came in. So you see, everybody per se has agreed to understand that prostitution is not empowerment. You know, you, when you are on the receiving end, how can you be empowered? Okay, I said, okay, I'm going to sell my body. The man who's buying the body, he doesn't give you a choice. He doesn't give you a choice to say, okay, what kind of uh, type of sex do you want to have? He doesn't give you that choice. So how are you empowered? You're rather being subjected to domination. Yeah. You're being subjected to subservience and subjugation like a slave. Hmm. So, and so I was... Sorry. Yes, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I was just coming to the, the question. You, you mentioned it in passing about the obligations placed on states by the international mm -hmm. treaties and conventions that they have signed yeah. and ratified. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to ask what can be done if states fail to comply with these obligations. I mean, if we look at the 1949 convention, we look yes, at, yeah, we look at, let's come down to recent times, we look at the Palermo Protocol that asks, yes. you know, uh, state members who signed and ratified to address the demand. We look at some of the regional treaties, you know, the anti-trafficking, the, the treaties, the, 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 the honey bird, uh, uh, um, resolution in the EU and all of these. When mm -hmm. states, you know, sign and ratify these international ins legal instruments, and then they fail to comply with their obligations under these instruments, what can be done to push them to comply? Unfortunately, if I can answer, Mickey, mm. uh, unfortunately, uh, the United Nations is quite helpless. I mean, how do you, um, you, you have signed. You have signed the conventions, but 143 parties have signed, have uh, member states have signed the United Nations Convention against transnational organized crime where the trafficking and sexual exploitation is one part of it. Uh, about uh, most of the, CEDAW well, has been signed in Article 6 of CEDAW says, lot of, most of the member states who have legalized prostitution or decriminalized prostitution, they have signed the CEDAW. Uh, agreement, the Convention on wow. Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination. And Article 6 is very clear on that, that you have to stop prostitution in CEDO. And also they are trafficking in the, our protocol, the Palermo Protocol, to prevent, suppress, and punish trafficking in persons, especially in women and children, that, that, from which I, got the, I had the mandate to be the, um, to be the special rapporteur. That also we find 119 parties are there to the protocol who have signed. Now you breach it. You have said certain things that, okay, because again, like, you know, the definitions are contradictory to each other. If you're talking about empowerment of women, and then you're saying no prostitution cannot be empowerment, and the Palermo Protocol is talking about you cannot do, the definition of uh, um, trafficking has included prostitution in, uh, in, in Article 3 of the protocol. So you have all these provisions are there and they've signed it and yet they're legalizing it. So they're contradicting it themselves. And then 
when you are, when who brings it to the surface and what does the United Nations do or how much can they do? What can they do? I mean, I always felt this way. If they, uh, when, I, I have a question on that. Yeah. I have a question on that. Could civil society organizations looking at the, the legal instruments, the international legal instruments that have been signed and ratified, because we, we have to remember that signing is not just enough, but we need to ratify it. And which means the state arriving at ratification means you, you then place yourself under an obligation to domesticate those legal instruments in your local laws, import them into your local laws. That is, a, that is binding when you write. Yeah, it becomes a binding uh, uh, instrument. Yeah. Would, would those civil society organizations not be in a more powerful situation to push their governments to respect their legal yeah, under, obligations under international law? Yeah, but that is, you know, you're, you're going to invoke the rich jurisdiction or a get a court direction. To, uh, you can lobby for it. You can lobby in the parliament for it. You can make a lot of uh, noise about it. But if the governments don't want to act on your lobbying, you don't, don't want to, I mean, how you are an NGO, you can make a lot of noise. Unifiedly, you can make a lot of noise. Unitedly, you can make a lot of noise. You can mm -hmm. take it to the, take, take a debate on it. And you can create pressure through the media if the government doesn't want to. Like, like say if, if I take Bangladesh, for example, we are, a, we are a secular state, but we are a Muslim country. And our, our government relies a lot on the Muslim mullahs and the priests, the preachers. So they, they're, they're because they are the vote banks, they think. But women are also the vote banks. And women are 50% of the total population. And yet, they rely on the Muslim mullahs. And so the Muslim mullah will say, no, you can't talk about it. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. They'll dictate any woman wants to come up and talk about any issues that relates to sex, the use of the term sex. They're shy of. They're not used to people talking about it openly. So then you find that the government will try to toe their line, not our line. You go to Because they are much court. more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And you go to the court and you try to enforce it through a court of law. Court will say, well, uh, because in various cases that I have taken uh, on women's issues, they say, well, go to the parliament and lobby for it. You know, or they can give it, they will never give a direction on this. Mm. In my, my writ, there's a direction. In my writ, the court has decreed, uh, court has declared, uh, directed the government uh, very much that, um, uh, the court has said, the government should come out with legislation prohibiting prostitution and or soliciting prostitution and strictly enforce the laws in solemn observation of the constitutional obligation, adopting effective measures to prevent prostitution. And I yet I don't agree with this fully because it's prohibiting prostitution, okay, or soliciting prostitution and strictly enforce the law. Since the woman is again a victim here. You know, if you get my point, because um, yeah. the buyer is not being touched. Yeah, <laughs> it's as if it's a one-sided kind of thing. I, yeah, I think Mickey, okay. you come out with legislation prohibiting prostitution and yeah. soliciting prostitution. But then what happens to the buyer? I don't solicit. Yeah. <laughs> that's always the one that's, that's kind of very conveniently and then the court uh, goes ironed out. Say, and the court then goes on to say, uh, the court being the upholder, protector of the rights of the citizens has a duty to see 
that the rights, including the fundamental rights of any citizen, are not being violated by any means. So a confusion has been created. Yeah, in the loose it manner is confusing. has been used, yes. So um, I feel this way that uh, most of the people talk that, okay, the changing needs of the society or an issue that needs to be addressed must may have on communities, public order or safety in the public interest. Now we have this public order safety. Now legalizing prostitution, will it have an effect on the community? Will it have an effect on the public order? Or will it have it uh, in the public interest? Safety measures will be um, diminished or something or will be jeopardized. So prostitution as a domain presents many challenges to state policymakers and analysts both general and or specific. Therefore, we'll have to think about it. We'll have to, how to implement, as you're talking about implementation and the violations and how do we go about rectifying it? How do we bring the governments to task? Mm. How do you bring the governments to task for breaching on the commitment when they ratified the convention? Because ratification means you change your law, local law. Municipal law has to be changed. Yeah. That is what ratification means. When you can mm. commit yourself to the, abiding by the rules and the regulations that are laid down in the convention, oh, the specific yeah. articles. That one of the articles would be like for CEDA article two, you have to change your municipal laws to keep in conformity with the CEDA articles. So it, these are the things uh, which uh, I found in one of the books by some three uh, researchers, challenges of prostitution policy which was on a, from a book called Designing Prostitution Policy, Intention and Reality in Regulating the Sex Trade, they called it. Prostitutes are considered a stigma. So these people are talking about sex trade and they're writing themselves. Prostitutes are considered a stigma on society. And so we see that this tenacity of stigma is the mechanism by which regulatory, regulatory approaches to prostitution generate negative unintended consequences and the progressive policies get reversed. So themselves, they're admitting to that. Am I clear? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's really, really clear. I, I think uh, Mickey wanted to comment on that. Um, yes, please, Mickey. Before no, we go um, to that, there are questions, a couple of questions in the Q&A. Yes, Mickey. Yeah, no, Sigma has actually um, said what I wanted to say initially, talking about how how the laws are always one-sided to to benefit men, to benefit men, and while you know re-victimizing and, and you know abusing women and and undermining women's rights, uh, constitutional rights. Um, yeah. So she basically said everything that I wanted to say. So okay. let's do the Q and A. Yeah, there's a question here that says from Julia Paulette. It says to both of you. Um, her question is, sociologists who are pro-sex work try to affirm these kinds of gray areas. I think some of the gray areas that Sigma mentioned, assuming the madams are like pimps or like women that are entrepreneurs, how can we stop that kind of theory where they want to kind of turn pimps and those exploiting women in prostitution from bringing criminals that they are into what they call the sex trade entrepreneurs, business people. How do we, um, you know, fight against that kind of theory? 
we 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 adopt we adopt the equality model we criminalize the purchase of sex we criminalize the pimping the brothel keeping and we put in place the exit opportunities and exit support for women who are still trapped in prostitution to be, be to be to so that they may leave and for those who are who are vulnerable to prostitution we make sure that our states are investing in women and girls to economically empower them so that no woman or girl may find themselves in a situation or in circumstances where in order for, for them to survive, they need to allow themselves to be prostituted. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for those powerful words, Mickey. Yes, yeah, Sigma. I think Mickey, it's uh, quite a um, debatable point and it's quite a difficult point to say, because these women who become madams, I'm not talking about the pimps, I'm talking about the madams. Madams are usually women in prostitution themselves. And they've come to an, a particular, they don't see any exit point as she's talking about. These women feel they're confined to that, um, within that vicinity of prostitution. So they're in the world of prostitution and they cannot come out of it, but they're again, not uh, sort of, um, sort of attractive to the buyers. So they're not even in demand. Not, they, they, there's no demand for them. So then they turn into exploiting their own people. They start becoming the madams. They keep kidnapping women. That's how it, it's working and operating in the South Asian region. That the madams- just, Sorry, um, it may be a bit late. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Sigma, but just to try and mm -hmm. speak a little bit slower for our interpreters. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I was saying, I was saying that, um, who are the madams in this profession, in this, uh, in this uh, particular um, situation? They, they are actually women themselves in prostitution. They have no exit places. They can't go because um, these women, at least in the South Asian region, these women, um, they, they provide a lot for the development of a country, of a city. They build mosques, they pay tax, on the money that they earn, they develop the area, the community, yet they send money to their families who are in dire necessity of the money, yet they're not accepted by that family. They cannot go, there's no exit for them. So they have to live in that mire. And what they do is, and they start, the only way to earn, because they're no longer in demand, the only way they can earn their own livelihood and sustain their livelihood and live, survive, is by becoming a madam, purchasing women, young girls, and then putting them into sexual work, into the into sex, uh, serve people. Do, does serve. that not reproduce the uh, the, the you know that vicious cycle of exploitation and violence that we we want yes. to avoid? Yes. So if you have to do that, as I said earlier on when I was talking, that we need to have an uh, options other than prostitution made easily the, available. The Nordic model. The Nordic model, yes. Yes, that, that, that provides that so ask for provision of dream. support yes. for women to exit. Yeah. Because that equality dream is very far in an unequal world. Even with, mm -hmm. the, with the women who are breaking the glass ceilings, and going places, they themselves are striving hard to get their acceptance. Mm -hmm. 
not, that acceptance is not easily coming to them from society. They're striving hard to get achieve what they want to be. They have their dreams, their ambitions. Many of them are making it come true. But yet this is an unequal situation where they're striving, they're striving. A man doesn't have to strive to be accepted. You can do a good job in a company where you're the brain of the company. You will not get that recognition, whereas a male counterpart would get that recognition. That yes, you are the brain of the company. You know, the promotions, if they come, it will come easier to the man than to the woman. So in an unequal world, in an unequal situation, to get a, to give options to these women, we have to give them good concrete options. And we have to stress on the government. We have to lobby with the governments. We have to lobby with the multinationals. We have to lobby with the international bodies that are like the, UN, the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights or the um, or uh, the UN itself, uh, we have to talk about when we talk or the national or the commission commission on women. Uh, we have to work uh, very hard to get them convinced mm. to give options to these people. It's so glorified, it's so glamorous to say that you know, sex is work, but sex is not work. It can never but, be. Work. But I think Mickey can tell us something about prostitution not being really sex or work, but more of violence and violence against the use. Yeah. Mickey, you want to say a few my words view, before we view, start to round up? Yeah. My view is that prostitution was never work, never will be, because exactly. um, there are a lot of things that are to it. In, in fact, men who purchase sex in my opinion, are rapists. The, the only difference between them and the rapists is that these are all men who do not like to take no for an answer. So instead of using force, like the rapist will do, a man who purchases, uh, who pays for access to women's bodies will use his power, which is money, to coerce the woman yes. that he's purchasing. These are men who do not want to hear any woman refusing them. Because I, uh, I normally say when I, when, when I argue with men here in South Africa, when they say, but these women have chosen everything, and I normally say to him, if you know that I want to have sex with you, why are you coercing me with money? Why not ask me and to give me the opportunity to say yes or no without being coerced? That's, that's the, the first point of departure. If you know fully... The other part is that when we start talking about prostitution, people like to, the very first thing people are saying, women did that, women did that, but they erase those who are doing. And we must remember that the number of men involved in prostitution outnumbers the number of women. There are more, because if there are three women who are being prostituted and each of them are seeing on an average six men per night, that means six by three. There is 18 men and only three women. So if we want to abolish the system of prostitution, we need to arrest demand. We need to target demand. Yes. Thank you, Thank you very much, Mickey. That went off. Um, we have just about five, and I'm sure our listeners would, would, would very kindly concede a few minutes more to us. Um, but as a last question that we normally ask is, 
um, to both of you, uh, what do you find to be the best way to debunk the widespread notion of prostitution as sex work? Well, actually, if I want to debunk the myth of prostitution as work, then obviously we'll have to, you know, uh, the, uh, what I felt throughout uh, my work in the, this area, I found that um, the people like Gad W, people like um, other liberals who talk about women, uh, prostitution is uh, simply a job. You know, they have managed to get more advertisements out, more attractions out and more cons thinking. We have to work harder. We actually, the ones who are, we are abolitionists, we are the ones who want to say that prostitution is a violence against women. So you cannot stay in such a situation. We have to highlight this. There are a lot of movies going on where women are coming out and talking about uh, how it is a violent, um, the whole system is violent. And um, so, but we have to also, that is one way of making more noise and making more, talking more about it, advertising it, media should support us. But to consider women, the prostitution as a job, as a work, is not because there's no, uh, you don't get anything out of it. And at the same time, you find that the, the criminal, that uh, they're on the receiving end, it's not an equal job. It's not that I can opt out. A job gives you choice and that choice is missing. A job will give you a choice. Okay, I can terminate. I'll walk out. This buyer has come into my, uh, into the house. The buyer is, has purchased me either through a PIM, through a madam or directly and or through an agency. The buyer says that I've paid. You have no choice. And then also if, have, if there's no buyer also and I want to get out of it, how do I get out of it? Because for the simple reason that I have no other options. I have not, as a child, I've been inducted into the into prostitution. And now I'm an adult woman, I want to come out and take a job. What job can I take? Some other kind of a menial job where again, I'll be targeted and I'll be sexually abused. I will never be able to say yes. no, I will never be able to come out. The, vi the violence of prostitution knows no boundaries. As yes, and we have yeah. to highlight on that and talk about it more. And yeah. so you have to continuously, as that day I was telling you that you must have more and more workshops on this to make more and more people yes. and uh, reach out to a more, more larger audience, have some yeah. MPs come into our talks, have some yes. ministers come into our talks, have some, yes. some UN officials come into talk because they all yes. talk of sex work. So get them to come and talk about sex work and we'll talk about <laughs> uh, Yes, and we'll talk about prostitution we'll and the violence of it. Yes. We'll talk about that, prostitution and violence in this. Mickey, Mickey can tell us a little bit more about that. Mickey? A little bit more about? Yes. You said a little bit about, more about? The, the, the last question is the best way to debunk the widespread notion of prostitution as sex work. Is, is prostitution is work? Is it sex? How do we let people know that it is none of these two? It is neither sex nor work. I yes. think the best way to do this is for by us talking a lot about the harms of prostitution because those who are, are calling for prostitution to be recognized as work do not necessarily talk about the harms. 
and the exploitation. When they lure people into prostitution, they talk only about good things. Like they will tell them how much money they will make, how, you know, the latest iPhones and everything. But they do not talk about what needs to happen, what needs to be done to one's body for one to actually, you know, enjoy all of those. Um, I read recently, I was doing some other reading and research on this matter. And I read that in Dubai, women uh, being lured from Nigeria, from South Africa, and they are meant to eat human feces. And this woman who was writing this, she didn't know when she left Nigeria that that, that, was, that was going to be the requirement. Now people are being lured and misled into the system of prostitution. Wow. In fact, some of the things that we hear from survivors across the board about the practices in prostitution, if you, if you look at it on a very, very objective level, responds to the definition of torture under the United Nations Convention of Torture. So how can that be sex and how can that be work? So these are some of the things we need to let um, our listeners understand. And as you rightly stated, we're going to be having, when this series of webinars will end, first of July, we're having the last of the series of seven, we're going to start all over again to arrange a new set of series where we'll also bring in other speakers from different parts of the world to share with us their experience, their knowledge. And yes, and all of the issues of why we need to recognize prostitution and violence and not work, and on why we need all countries in the world to implement the Nordic model, to implement what has been recommended by the United Nations protocol on trafficking, which recommends to address uh, uh, the demand. And if you look at some of the regional uh, uh, resolutions and policies. Look at the OSCE policies, you look at the, the EU policies, and I'm sure if you look at other regional policies across the world, they always ask for the demand to be addressed because it's recognized as one of the factors that is pushing trafficking in human beings. You cannot talk of you know resolving the issue of trafficking of sex trafficking, which is the greatest part of trafficking across the world, when on the other hand, you're pushing the sale of women's bodies as a job. It just is it's just contradictory. It doesn't make exactly. sense, does it? Um, exactly. There's, a, there's a, a question or comment which says um, from Jean Sarson, we know that torture also occurs perpetrated by the buyers, the pimps, the traffickers. This is non-state torture human rights crimes. Most of the survivors we've noticed so here in the past also where the when, that, that when women when women fill out a non-state torture universal questionnaire and, and she has um, um, shared this. So yes, we're very happy to have that. Yeah, that and that. You know, they've been told by other women that they were forced to eat human feces. So we need to share to let people know that this is part of the dehumanization tactics that are made to ensure that women remain in the industry. You know, they are dehumanized. And then those acts 
that are being done to them are being passed off as things that are normal, which they and are not. And it's a part of job. And it's a part of a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, we should also have survivors. So, yes, um, more and more survivors will be invited to speak about um, their experiences. And, and on this note, I want to say a huge, huge thank you to both of you, Sigma and Mickey. Mickey, are you still with us? You can stay with us for a couple of minutes in video so that we, we greet each other before yes. we leave. <laughs> yeah, I want to say a huge thank you to both of you for your for, for, for taking the time. I know it's very late where you are now, Sigma. <laughs> it's late no, in it's the okay. evening. Yes. I want to thank both of you very much for joining us to, to share with us your, your expertise and knowledge. I want to say a huge thank you to our participants for taking the time to join us today. A huge thanks to our interpreters who I know have, you know, sometimes struggled because we speak too fast. We forget that we need to speak a little bit slower so they're able to follow us. So a huge thank you to you. And of course, to my team that, are, you know, they've ensured that this series have been smooth and continuous and every week, We've been able to join all of you to bring people from across the world, our sisters and, and uh, our comrades in the struggle to, to ensure that women's rights are defended and that the girl child is enabled to have the same opportunities as everyone else from across the world. We know that there's a lot that we still need to fight against. We know that the sex work uh, um, lobby is powerful and very well funded, but in spite of all of the challenges that we face um, as women fighting for the rights of other women and girls, I think that we want to say a big thank you to you and we know that that struggle will continue because we are committed and pulling out is not an option, we need to continue. So thank you mm -hmm. to everyone. Can I say something? Uh, yeah, yes, of thank course. Thank you very much for yes. inviting me. Yes. I would like to thank, I would like to thank mm -hmm. Eroka. I would like to thank uh, Isohe uh, for inviting me to this. I would like to thank the translators. I know I talk when I become passionate, then I start talking fast. Uh, to, so maybe the um, interpreters, but they must have done a good job because I couldn't hear what they were translating, but I'm sure they were interpreting it very well. From my past yes. experiences with the international interpreters I've seen, they even have my own, my voice and donations in their voice. So it's very exciting to even listen to them. But uh, I would like to thank them. I would like to thank you, Isoha, very much. I would like to thank Ruby for trying to make this whole thing possible. So easily we've been able to talk. And I'm also very happy to be introduced to Mickey and uh, to know Mickey, uh, that, you know, from South Africa, she's a sister. And so we are very happy. Um, and Issa, I would like to say again, once again, a very thank you for thinking of us and getting this workshop together. I've watched, I've got into, I've listened to many of your, uh, this uh, every Thursday night webinars that you're carrying on. And uh, more so because um, I was preparing for myself. So I was excited to see that. And uh, that's it. I would like to say thank you and good evening and good night and good afternoon, whatever. <laughs> thank you very much.
So um, the recording thank of today's event. Much, yeah. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you much. Um, yeah. Yes. Bye bye. <laughs> so no, I, just the last couple of um, um, words to say that the recording of today's event and all of the talks in the series, as usual, can be found on Iroko's Facebook page. Um, they are currently only in English, but um, um, follow you follow our page so that you can keep up to date on the videos that we we'll share. And later on, it will be in English and Italian. And you can also follow us on Twitter and on our YouTube channel. Our next and final event in the series will be next Thursday, 1st July at 6 p.m. Central European Summer Time. While today was 4.30 due to the time difference with Bangladesh, Next week, we'll come back to 6 p.m. Central European Summer Time. That is 12 noon Eastern time in the US. And we will talk about the situation in Italy and France with Italian Senator Alessandra Maiorino and Gregoire Theri from CAP International. So Senator Alessandra Maiorino will speak about the Italian situation right now and the work that is ongoing to present a, 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 a law proposal on the Nordic model in the Italian parliament, while Gregory Terry from CAP International will speak about how France worked to get the law um, in France, the abolitionist law to be passed in France. So we hope to see all of you next week. Thank you all very much for being with us. I think there was a last comment. Um, Yes, no rehabilitation uh, uh, of um, prostituted people in their old age, no right to education, health and basic rights. So next week we'll speak about all of this and in the following weeks after that, maybe um, after the summer period, we will um, start a new series of webinars on these issues. So thank you very much for being with us this evening. Bye-bye and speak to Bye. you soon. Have a lovely evening. Bye-bye, everyone.